Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legvold. Joining me today on Beneath the Wing is Colonel Robin Scar. Colonel Scar has been our maintenance group commander here at the 133rd and is retiring from the military after serving since 1980. He's got a rich and diverse service history, but has mostly been in maintenance for all of it. And I can't wait to explore a little bit more and learn some good lessons. But before we get started, a quick correction from our last episode with Captain Gertz. For those metalheads out there who went out and checked in on my Iron Maiden reference, the song was actually The Trooper, not Run to the Hills. But uh, let me take this opportunity to again thank Captain Gertz for sitting down and uh, letting me ask him some questions. So uh, let's get going. Colonel Scar, thanks again for agreeing to sit down with me on Beneath the Wing. Sure. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right. By the time we uh, we put this on the air or out on the podcast, you will have been retired and moving on to uh, the civilian pastures of life. And one of the things that I learned about you is that you've got a teaching degree from the University of Minnesota Duluth. Correct. Did you teach? Yes. What grade? Uh, grades five through eight. Five through eight. And how long were you in the classroom? Uh, only two years. All right. Why'd yeah. you leave? Uh... I don't know if I want to say, if I really want to say that. No, um, teaching uh, um, it really wasn't what it turned out to what I thought it would turn out to be. I mean, it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but it it was wasn't the right time in my life. Um, and then being in the guard, being in the military, uh, there were other options that excited me more and one of it was uh, to be a full-time technician out here so I still think I hold the record as far as number of interviews and applications to get on as a technician and that was 13. Wow 13 interviews yeah that's a lot of rejections yeah how'd you handle that? Um, well finally I got pissed and went and asked the supervisors why I wasn't being hired over the others and they said I, they didn't really think I wanted it because I had a college degree. So they, they assumed you'd only want to come in as an officer because you were enlisted at that time, weren't Correct. you? Correct. Mm -hmm. All right. So, But eventually you got on and, and you were working on F4s then, right? Uh, as a traditional, um, I started off in 1980 up in Duluth working RF4s. All right. And then we then we converted to the D model, and then right when we were finishing the conversion, uh, I transferred down here. So it's 1984. So 1984, you switch. Sounds like a lot of shifting gears, mm -hmm. like working in a classroom with yes. elementary and middle school age yes. kids. You're shifting gear constantly. So similar to teaching, I I have an educator's background. I mm -hmm. worked in public schools for ten years. What did you find similar to teaching? Um, when working in the military or in the maintenance community? Um, the 
that no matter what their what the ages of the people were, they still all think they know know it all right away. Fourth graders know it all. Yep, they know it all. Uh, They've been there, done that, and then you the adults. Yeah, I, I know it all. And then next thing you turn around and. They've messed things up, so. Was reaching them at those moments where they messed things up kind of the same as yeah. reaching them when yeah. they're fourth or fifth or eighth oh, yeah. graders? Yeah. What worked? Human human nature, I think, you know, we're, it doesn't matter what age it is. I mean, no one likes criticism. No one likes to be told or corrected. Nobody. Um, nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's the humility part that's, that's a, a tough tough thing to learn but uh you know yeah humility comes maybe from 13 job rejections yeah, yeah. would you consider yourself humble uh <laughs> yeah it's tough tough to ask somebody that's made yeah. uh, you know 06 full kernel if if they're a humble person or oh yeah not. But, i mean that's uh, that's just being very fortunate and having good people that have uh i've been able to work with and that have supported me because you know that's the only way you get it. It's not because you yourself have done anything. All we did is all I did is fill the squares. But if you don't have everybody else supporting you, you're not going anywhere. Who who do you think has been maybe the most influential when it comes to supporting you in your career? Because you're right, nobody gets to where they're at alone. Where's your Where's your support? Um, the biggest support is probably, well, I shouldn't say probably, it, it is my wife. Um, any any difficult situation we've run into, any uh, uh, exciting things that we've run into, um, she's always been there. So she's been she's been the the biggest supporter as of now. That's been hard because mm. uh, maybe one thing that not a lot of people know about you is you drive, you've got a long commute to get to the 133rd yeah. to do your daily work. Yeah. How long is your commute? Um, well, if I did it every day, it would be four hours and 35 minutes. One way. One way. Oh. So you you drive and you leave your family for the week. Correct. Right? And then take off and go back home. Correct. That takes a uh, very that takes supportive a yeah. family. Yeah, and uh, it's at the it's at the wits end right now. Yeah, uh, but I think a lot of it is because we're able to see the end of the end of the tunnel a little bit. So, has it always been? Um, have you always recognized that key support in your wife through your career? Yeah, I've recognized it, but I've taken advantage of it. You know, you you take it for granted, and uh, so that's what I mean by taking advantage of it because of the fact that you assume an awful lot, and you don't think about what they're going through on a day-to-day basis, and so um, that's totally unfair. Yeah. I bet you're looking forward to having more time together. Oh, yeah. 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 So it, it takes a lot of adjustment to make it through a military career. Um, you've been in for 30, 39 years, eight months, eight days. But who's counting, right? Exactly. <laughs> 39 years, that's a lot of change to deal with in a career. Um, 
throughout that change, you've been in different roles, mm -hmm. been different ranks, you've been mm -hmm. enlisted, you've been a commissioned officer, um, you've had to accept direction from a higher headquarters, and sometimes you've been in a position where you've had to give that direction. Um, what was it like being in both of those seats at different times in your career? Maybe at the beginning you're going, you know, WTF is the, the old man thinking, and now you've got those same people that already know it all because yeah. they were fourth graders once probably thinking the same thing of you. Yeah, um, things have changed a lot. I mean, uh, when I first got in, the recruiter told me that after, if I put in a 20-year career, the best that they could do for me is I'd, I'd make my um, staff sergeant. That's as high a rank that you'd make. That's a good rank to be, too, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm, you know, and at the time, you're thinking, you know, you're young. You don't know a whole lot about the military. You're going, okay, not a big deal. But then once you get into it, you're going, well, this isn't a very good deal. I'm getting robbed here. So, um, but obviously, things have changed. Uh, um, things, you know, people have turned over rapidly. But back in the day when I um, joined up, people, you know, they spent 35 years in the military, and that was not uncommon. Which is easy. If you're a yeah. technician, you can, yeah. you can make it that yeah. long. But even, even our traditionals were, you know, 25, 26, 27, 28 years, and that was not uncommon to, to see. Um, whereas now, you will, I don't think you will ever see that again. Is that a good change? Um, in the maintenance world, no. Um, on the, from base perspective, I think it's probably not a bad thing, but uh, it's a difficult thing to manage because you have you have the constant turnover, mm -hmm. um, which is difficult, especially with all the requirements that are placed on us as a traditional guardsman or even a full time employee. Yeah, hard to balance yep. all of that. Yeah, you mentioned the maintenance world matters. It's, it's different mm -hmm. in maintenance, and that turnover is difficult. Why is maintenance different than everybody else? Uh, it, I, I wouldn't say it's different from everybody else, but um, I think that uh, um, if you got into the maintenance world, you'd see that uh, uh, our requirements are somewhat different, somewhat more stringent. Um, I think that uh, maintenance is on the road, so to speak, more than any of the other other NOPS. But you know, we work closely with ops, um, so I think that from that standpoint, having people move around or get in and out of the unit, it makes it difficult for us to have a a really strong core mm -hmm. and maintain that strong core. Obviously, our full-time employees are the core, but um, right now, after two and a half years of sitting in this position, we just finally filled our last flight line job. Yeah. And we had, you know, seven, eight, nine positions open when I got here. We were just now finishing those hires. So that's how difficult it's been just to get people to take these jobs. Do you think that, not necessarily just for maintenance, but overall, are we losing the idea of valuing a skilled craftsman? 
somebody that's an expert in their field, and that's that's the value is placed on that skill. Or is upward mobility the goal for everybody? I think I think upward mobility is the goal for everyone right now. The I'm I'm not trying to belittle the the generations that are coming in now, but we're throwing so much at them to get them to be a guard member. Um, when you're giving them full college tuition, you're giving them huge signing bonuses. Um, that that is something that. For the old guys like me and and some of the others that are getting older, um, we never had anything like that. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to make extra money, you had to work into runways or you had to come in and, and put in a uh, a, uh, a partial AT day or a TPT or PTP or whatever they call those things. Not P one of those yeah, other so orders. So right? many other acronyms, yeah. but. Yeah. Uh, um, that was the only way that you were going to make any money, yeah. uh, but we never got anything as far as a signing bonus or any tuition reimbursement or things like that. And even the GI Bill has changed greatly from when you know I got in. Yeah. So um, I don't. Again, I think that that's could be a downfall for us for the future because you will never get those people that are going to put in the or I shouldn't say won't but you won't have the numbers of putting in the 25 30 years yeah. that we used to have as that skilled yeah, tech, the, they'll get technical their, expert yeah. yeah yeah we've seen that you know you get the six seven eight years out of the person and then see i've had enough yeah yep so there's a lot of a lot of risk that goes into a career and and taking those chances mm -hmm. and either sticking around and and um you know, doing the value of the service and staying staying within the military is, is that in and of itself is a life risk. Uh, you took one. You chose to become commissioned after being enlisted. Correct. Um, was that your biggest career risk? And if it wasn't, what was your uh, biggest that was career probably, risk? Uh, well, there's a lot of them. I, I, I can't really say that there there was one specific, but obviously that was probably the first one. Um, was it worth you, it? Um, I think so, yeah. Okay. But... Uh, um, at the time, you, you know, you're applying for these jobs, and like I said, I, I applied 13 times just to get on as a technician. Yeah. Um, and then when I applied for this job, um, and I I was selected, my supervisor came in with master sergeant stripes or butter bars, and says, "Which one do you want?" That's a choice to make. That's right a choice at that to make moment. right at that moment. Good so, choice. So that was it, was, was it a good choice? Oh yeah, it was a it was a real good choice, um, but uh, at the time you you know you you go wow you know you're starting to move mm -hmm. people the movement within the organization was good so you knew that unless you really really messed up you'd have a chance to make senior yeah. at a fairly young age you know, um, but after 14 years I took the took the plunge and became an officer. So. Oh, and, and here you are. Yeah. Um, was that the most pivotal moment? I mean, there's a difference between well, a risky moment and a, and a pivotal moment. What was the, was there a big life-changing, life-alternating, tough time that you went through in your career? Has it all been sunshine, roses, no, and unicorns no, all day? No, it's, uh, 
uh, there's all kinds of stories that you could tell as far as how of how I've screwed up or messed up or whatever. But um, uh, I think the biggest pivotal thing or the most difficult was uh, actually going to Air War College in residence. Where did you go in residence? Uh, to Maxwell. Okay. So you went uh, to the Air Force War College right. in Maxwell. Okay. But after being out of college for 30 years, 32 years, whatever it was, um, to all of a sudden go into go to, to war college and get into a college environment again with uh, a lot of people that have more way way more experience than I had, i.e., you know, out in the active duty world, being that I was a guard baby and and these other people, you know, they're active duty, they're cruising all around the world. Um, holding all kinds of different positions that it was easy for them to fall into because they've experienced everything that we were learning about or discussing or or planning. They've already done that. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't do that in the Guard. So we're at a disadvantage. And then so you go into this and you, you know, you're with people that are, not that age is a big deal, but I mean, You've got people that are 15, 20 years younger than you are. You were in your 50s when you went through yes. war college. Yes. And that's a master's degree type program. Yes. yes. Hard to learn at that age. Yes. When you haven't been. When you haven't been in that environment for, you know, three generations. Did that change you? Three decades, but. Did that experience change you? Um, I think that was a humbling moment. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was probably one of the most enjoyable years that ended up being for me in the, my Air Force career or the Guard career. Yeah. And I would recommend that for anybody. I mean, if they have an opportunity to go in residence, whether you're enlisted or officer, I, that's the way to do it. Yeah. But it's difficult, especially if you have a family. And Did your wife go with you on that? That was uh, a one-year... She flew, she flew down you know, multiple times. Yeah. Again, yep. balancing the family yep. and the yep. military career. Yeah, we were lucky. The kids were, were already grown and, and through with college and whatnot, so that was nice to have that done. But, uh, um, you know, she had her teaching that she was still doing, and, mm -hmm. and yeah. So. Okay, we'll shift gears a little bit. All right. So besides uh, operations of maintenance and mm -hmm. being in maintenance most of your career, are you, are you a gearhead at heart? Um used to be back in the enlisted days i mean we used to i, I was in charge of the dash 21 shop what's or that? the rail shop okay which was the the roller system the conveyor system on the aircraft the winch those types of things um but in my shop we'd that was kind of where all the repairs were done back in the day if a person had a lawnmower that wasn't running right they'd pull it in we'd rip it apart and redo it at lunch breaks and, and you know, afternoon breaks. Um, so, I mean, you got into a few things there. Um, if a car wasn't running right or whatever, they pull it into the bay and, mm -hmm. you know, you'd work on it at lunch. And so Turning wrenches is kind of relaxing, but not yeah. necessarily something you do to... Yeah, not deflate. now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What do you do to deflate? <laughs> um... Mow grass. Mow grass. 
That's what's waiting for you on this on the outside. Yes. Are you looking forward to the civilian career of mowing the lawn at the golf course? Yep. Yeah, we've already started on the weekends a yeah. little bit already. So. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll get a little bit more into the uh, the warm, fuzzy uh, <laughs> side of Colonel Scar and uh, a little bit more about what's waiting for him on the other side. But uh, before we get to that, we're going to take a quick pause and have a brief message from our recruiting staff here at the wing where they're going to highlight a couple careers that they have openings for. So stick around and we'll be right back. Hi, my name is Technical Sergeant Nicole Husner. I'm one of the recruiters on the team here at the 133rd Airlift Wing. I'd like to take this opportunity to highlight two career fields that we have vacancies for. And coincidentally, both of these roles report to Chief Seek in the Operations Support Squadron. The first career field is aircrew flight equipment. Responsibilities of this role include all-encompassing aircrew safety to include training and equipment. Now, if that sounds interesting to you, I want to take a deeper dive into the survival piece of that role and make you aware of another career field available, which is an Air Force Special Warfare or Special Forces positions we have. It's SEER, Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. This role requires an individual that is extremely physically fit as you're expected to be able to pass special warfare training. What this position entails after you complete the course is teaching and instructing courses about evading capture as well as being held captive by an enemy force. If you want to learn more about either of these positions or other vacancies on base, please reach out to myself. My extension is 2091 and my cell phone number is 612-834-0274. Again, that's 612 612- Eight three four zero two seven four. Okay, thanks, Sergeant Husner, for that uh, great message. And again, if you've got people that are interested in those two jobs, uh, maybe a, a young person in your life that you'd encourage to come over to the guard, uh, bring them on in and have them talk to her. She'll get them all squared away. So we're back with Colonel Scar, who is in his last. Uh, two weeks of wearing the uniform of the U.S. Air Force, and it's been a long and rewarding career. We've learned a little bit about some of the um, operational side of Colonel Scar, but let's get into a little bit more of uh, Colonel Scar, the the person, the man. And uh, you're a, you're a, of Scandinavian heritage, right? Correct. Strong Norwegian. Correct. All right. So. Another famous Norwegian is Roald Dahl, and you're an elementary school teacher by trade, or elementary and middle school, and Roald Dahl was born in um, Wales, but both of his parents are, are Scandinavian, Norwegian, and so let's just say you and he were sitting around and drinking Akavit and talking about your favorite children's books, because he's the author of uh, famous ones like... Uh, James and the Giant Peach and Matilda and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which if I see that movie with Gene Wilder, it still scares the hell out of me. He just seems weird. <laughs> um, what's a favorite children's book of yours that taught you a lesson that you still carry around today? I can't say that I have one. Really? No. What did you read to the kids in school? I didn't. Really? No. Okay. No. Um... The way that 
I taught in a private school, so that the way that it was set up, it was it was um, more or less a team teaching type environment until they got into the middle school. So I didn't we didn't do any reading per se to the students. That was a different different teacher that did that. I had I had the uh, uh, language arts type of things. It was still more of the workbook. Mm -hmm. and had the students do the reading. Um, you might discuss some of the things that were within their books that they were reading, but uh, there were, uh, I don't remember any children's books that I would have anything that I would take anything great away from. All right. Interesting. So no uh, no big literary talks with uh, Roald Dahl. No. S you sip Aquavit? No. Oh, it's like gasoline. But it's got to be good, right? My my folks are both Norwegian, and they say this is the greatest thing ever, and it burns all the way down. Yes. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You seen that movie? Yes. Does it scare you at all? Uh, no. Uh, it's the it's the new it's the new one with Johnny Depp. Oh yeah. He's just odd and odd. That, that one that one was odd, but I I wouldn't say it scared the heck out of me, but yeah. I mean it was. Uh, Different. Yeah, throughout that movie, throughout the book, there are all these lessons about uh, being unselfish, um, or you'll turn into a the, the one image is that little girl turning into the big blue berry, mm -hmm. you know. But all these acts of the selfish kid going through, and and then there's Charlie, who, like you mentioned earlier, is kind of a humble kid and just happy to be there and. He's, his eyes start to open to the process and how the sausage is made, how the chocolate is mm -hmm. made, but still at the end, he's still a, a giving, caring, decent, humble, um, and kind person. Would you consider yourself um, throughout your career being, you talked about being humble, but would people see you as, as decent and kind? <laughs> uh, you'd have to ask them. Uh-huh. Um, does my personality come across that way? No. Is that on purpose? Uh, no. Yeah. You can't fake it through 40 years of a career, can no. you? No. Comfortable in your own skin? Yeah. Have to be. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, if they say, am I that smiley individual that, uh, um, comes to work every morning and is all bubbly? No. Mm-hmm. But, um. I loved what I was doing. Yeah. I, I don't think that I was a, that I'm a a mean person or an unhappy person or anything like that. But you would probably not be able to say that from looking at me yeah, or so getting to know me, so to speak. The funny thing is, um, trying to do this well, I went out and I asked, um, "Is there a softer side to Robin Scar?" and Almost overwhelmingly, the answer that I got was a yes. Doesn't come across, but yes. Um, super approachable, but you have to approach and get beyond that that exterior. And once you do, um, very warm, very genuine, um, and always truthful. Uh, so, yeah, I went out and asked. And, yeah, that's what people think about you. Uh, 
maybe that warms you up a little bit before you head out the door. But uh, I, I think, interesting. I think you're soft at heart. Yeah, I'd probably say I'm more caring than what people think. But yeah. uh, um, one of one of the stories that I will carry with uh-oh. me when you retire. That's not not bad or embarrassing or anything. But we were we were pretty tired after state active duty had been mm-hmm. going. Um, for a week, and I was walking around our campus out here, and you were standing by a piece of ground equipment out on the flight line, and three airplanes were rolling back, and you were just out there watching your your folks marshal the planes in, move the equipment around, um, and I watched you for a little while just kind of at peace and at ease, but there was this 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 sense about you that something wasn't quite perfect, wasn't quite right. And so I, I went up to you and asked how you were doing, and do you remember what she said? No. I do. It speaks to, to the warm, fuzzy side of you. He said, my people are tired. They're exhausted, I think was the word that she used. You didn't talk about you but you had this profound sense of empathy for the folks that had been working nonstop. And I talked to a few of the maintainers that put in 16-hour days mm-hmm. with a smile on their face, changing missions. Where did you, um, how did you stay in touch as a commander, as, as the big boss of a big organization? How did you remain to be you know, have that sense of being in touch with your people that other people could hear and stay in touch with theirs? Well, um, I think part of it is um, um, being here at work every day. Um, I don't think that uh, in, in the 25 years of being an officer, almost 26 years now, um, that there's maybe a handful of days up until you know recently just getting all your medical stuff and everything else taken care of before retirement but um, that I took off um, so I was here pretty much all the time uh, when I was when I was enlisted it was uh, one of the other guys that I work with he and I would always be the first ones here to make sure the coffee was on when the for the rest of the crew when they got here uh, and that kind of just kept going through all the years and so uh, unless there's a rare occasion I'm pretty much first person on base in the morning and I won't say that I'm the last person off base but I mean I think that it, you know for the most part it's uh, uh, one of the one of the last leaders off base every day mm-hmm. um, so I think that that's how you stay in tune with your people they see that they know um, they know when you're around or not um, because they'll come up to you and say, well, how come I beat you to work this morning? Mm-hmm. Or if I'm not, if, if they get here before I do, I'll get a text message now saying, are you okay? You know, where are you? Um, so, you, I, I mean, and it's still an hour before work, yeah. and they're, they're texting you going, well, where are you? You know, it's not like you not to be here. So Are we starting to miss something now in this this era where there's more teleworking there 
we're encouraged to have half in, half out. I mean, mm -hmm. maintaining airplanes and keeping them in the air takes people mm -hmm. at work doing that job. Are we starting to lose connectedness? Yeah. Um, and when I say that, it's there are certain career fields that, that yeah, you can probably do more telecommuting. Um, but with that, you're also going to lose that daily contact with them. Yeah. Some of the younger folk feel that, that, that they are more efficient at doing things at home. I don't believe that at all. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll, I'll never win that fight with them, though. Uh, their, their mind is just not, doesn't work the way mine is. Um, mine is too screwy, I think. Um, but as far as trying to set up things and keep the airplanes flying, keep you know keep ops uh, current on all their um, requirements that they have, it, it the chiefs the chiefs have to uh, um, work a lot harder in making sure that they have the right people in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, people so. that are managing human beings have a harder job, I think, now. Yeah. If I'm hearing you right, yeah. it, it takes a lot more coordination and conducting and knowing your people's skills and mm -hmm. attributes and their work capacity. Yeah, and I think there's also a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot less taken for granted now than what there maybe was before, simply because you have to know what's going on yeah. all the time. Whereas before there was, Within maintenance, we have a lot of layers of management or or uh, supervision, but with the COVID and everything else that's going on, and you're like you said, you're you know you're sitting at fifty percent or less, sometimes thirty percent of your people here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you you have to make sure you have the right team in the right place and and run things as efficiently as you possibly can. And I think the Chiefs have done a pretty nice job of that. Our it's exciting to see that people are having to lead their organizations mm -hmm. more effectively, more efficiently. At the same time, um, it's hard for people like you and I that being present is 60% of what we do. Just right. having people see that we're here right. and doing some work. And um, it's it's hard to not have that people contact that uh, that we have craved throughout mm -hmm. our career and maybe getting in early, making the cup of coffee, but then having the conversation at the table before you go out and start turning wrenches or right. or strapping on the gun or dragging hose in my in my case, uh, but having that cup of coffee with one another and having that, that personal mm -hmm. connection with folks is difficult. So it's uh, I, I think we're gonna continue balancing and it's gonna be tough. Let's do some rapid fire questions. These are fun. One, one or two word answer, and it's just whatever comes to your mind. How but, is no? Uh, no is, uh, if I got a yes, no question, we'll take no for an answer. But uh, since you came in in 1980, um, I got a couple that are just kind of centered around 1980. So uh, we'll start with an easy one. If you're going to listen to something, is it ACDC's Back in Black or Air Supply's All Out of Love? Stumped you on the first uh, one. I'll, I'll go with ACDC. All right. F4 or F16? 
I wanted to listen to the other one, but um, F F four. What movie made you cry? <laughs> <laughs> what movie made me cry? Uh, boy, I don't know. All right, we'll we'll hit a pause on that one. You have though. I can't remember when uh, that was that. Most famous person you've met? Um, probably Jan Stevenson. All right. Green or red trackers? But you don't even know who she is. Well, why would I? Yeah. <laughs> I'll get back into it. Green or red tractors? Green. So glad to hear you say that. What's your favorite app on your phone? <laughs> the delete. Ah, I was kind of figuring it would be some. Okay, so who's Jan Stevens? Stevenson. She's a. She was a professional golfer. Oh, okay. All right. Not being a golfer, I guess I wouldn't have missed that. Yeah. Is that? Uh, now knowing that you are going to retire and move on to a golf course and a, a nice green tractor. To mow with? Unfortunately, uh, these are red tractors. Really? That they have there. Yeah. They're all Toros. Well. They don't have the big John Deere tractors. Well, that that's. Are funner to run in the field. No, no, nobody's perfect, no, right? Unless right. they got the big green tractor right. going. I understand. Um, I, I said golf or fishing? Fishing. Okay. But you're going to work at a golf course. Mm -hmm. what's, the, what's the best fish to catch? You're in South Dakota, so. Well, first of all, you have to find a lake in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. um, but going years back, it was probably the walleye. But it doesn't matter as long as you're on the lake, who cares? Yeah, that's true. Best day of fishing is better yeah. than the best day of golfing, I suppose, for me. All right. So. What are you most looking forward to in retirement? Um, not having the responsibilities. Yeah. Or something yeah. about going and having nothing but grass to cut in front of you. Yeah. No one talking back at me. So you're not going to go and substitute teach in elementary nope. school? Yeah. No. Nope. So thinking back over a good long career, who would you consider as your role model or your mentor that, that taught you a great deal? You know, there isn't, there isn't really one. Um, there, there's just way too many. The, the environment that I cut my teeth in here back in 87 on, um, all the people that I worked with, they were my mentors. Um, as an officer, um, there were, there are numerous, uh, um, mentors, so to speak, Colonel Doherty, Colonel Endress, um, Colonel Tripp, Colonel Shetka, Colonel Marr. I mean, you learn something from all of them, Colonel Hubert, mm -hmm. Colonel Rosberg. I mean, there was, 
there was a lot. So you, you know, that picked up little bits and pieces from, from each bit, one. Yeah, and a, a drop in their jar. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then you know you learn things that you like, styles that you like, what you didn't like, and you adapted accordingly. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, I think I probably learned a lot more from the enlisted side, um, as far as the do's and don'ts moving into the to the officer side simply because you were on the receiving end for so many years yeah you know um, so those so those guys and gals that I was with early on you know they pretty much molded how I did things for the last 25 years you've got two weeks mm -hmm. left What's but who's conning? Yeah, you are. <laughs> What's one last drop that you would want to leave with the people that you're most in contact with? And you don't have to give away your retirement speech, but... I don't have a retirement speech. Uh, see you later? Yep. Okay. What's one last drop? I I don't know. Um, this has been a great place. The military has been great. Um, I wouldn't have traded anything for the world. People that I've met, people that I've worked with over the years have been uh, fantastic. You don't get that. You don't get that. I don't think out in the civilian world. You know, I look back from, from just a couple of years I was teaching and then I was in the floor cover. I worked in a, yeah, for a, a friend who uh, owned a floor covering store and, and basically all I was was a delivery boy. But, uh, um, you, you know, you don't have that same interactions as you do with, with the folks out here and you don't get to know them quite the way. We get to know each other here, especially if you deploy with them and you're living with them 24-7. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, for those people that are still here, don't take those things for granted. Um, and don't be afraid to lean on maybe some of the other uh, other older folks or whatnot if things get a little bit crazy, mm -hmm. a little out of hand. You know, they, they've experienced a little bit, so. That's that? That's pretty much that. All right. Well, Colonel Scar, thanks for joining me today, talking a little bit, teaching us a little bit um, about how to be humble in a career, listen to people, <laughs> lean on them, and uh, have a warm, fuzzy inside, even though the outside sometimes isn't necessarily that way, but teaching us a little bit about what makes you tick. I've enjoyed the time. I Thanks, Chief. Too. We will miss you around here. Oh, I'm sure you will. We absolutely will. <laughs> <laughs> hey, next uh, next podcast that I've got going on, I'm going to be sitting down with the 2019 Outstanding Airman of the Year for our wing and for the state and then for our region as well. Jeffrey Fouts is going to be joining me next on Beneath the Wing. So, again, thanks to Colonel Robin Scar for joining me, and we'll talk to you next time.